there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Can you get booked as well? Have you ever been booked? I've been booked. I got right. a hefty fine and a one-match ban. Really? Yeah. Wow. Um, the manager walks in goes absolutely ballistic, puts his foot through the bin, but his foot gets stuck in the bin. Whilst I did NHS, I worked three other jobs at the same time. Shrewsbury Town Academy, I did Stoke City Women's, and I did a private physiotherapy clinic. A normal weekday, what does that what does that look like for a physio? So you're saying Virgil van Dijk's cheating, is that what you're saying? Hello guys, welcome back to The Ripple Effect. Really excited about this one. And we're going to do more like this. And if you are listening to this and you work in the world of football and you think you've got an interesting story that we could dive into, then please do get in touch with me on Twitter. We're going to chat with Mike Green. Or Greeny, Greeno, as I like to call him, because we're best friends. He is the physio for Port Vale FC. And his insights on life within a football team is absolutely fascinating in this one. We talk about so much, including all sorts of injuries and the iconic players that were affected by those injuries. Let's get into it. Do you prefer Mike or, do you, or Michael? Uh, Mike. No one ever uses my first name, but that's fine. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, was it Greeny? Yeah, Greeny. All the time. Always. Oh, amazing. Okay, all right. Do you want, let's get straight into it. Uh, I'm here with Greeny, Greeno, the Green Monster, Green Meister General. Um, Mike Green, who is the first team physio for Port Vale FC. So excited to chat to you. Um, I'm going to go with Mike. I'm going to settle on Mike, if that's all right, mate. Um, we, we started chatting on Twitter and I've been sort of wanting to chat to a physio within the game because I just think there's so much insight that can come from from you in terms of understanding what it's like being on the inside. And I would imagine, like, the first, I would imagine you are a bit of a fly on the wall, like, at all times, is that right? And then you sort of come in when people need a bit of, you know, obviously a lot of nursing. But is is that what life's like as a as a physio? Yeah, definitely. I think especially as a football fan first, mm. you kind of, you've got that curiosity growing up, all that sort of stuff. And then as soon as you get into it, you're like, oh, this is way different to anything you could ever imagine. And you are then part of the cog. You are kind of just part of this wheel where you've got a role you know your role and things just pass by you at times and I think in any other walk of life you'd stop and think about it but in football it's just that it's normal so right. it, it's it's different okay so what I mean I've got to press on that so what what would you say is not normal that you 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 just go oh, okay that's normal now in in your day-to-day life I think, like, the start is the banter. It is, like, nothing you will ever be a part of. It is constant. It is no one's safe, kind of. 
any insecurity you've got you've got to be okay with it being taken the piss out of because um it is what it is like you, you got to deal with it and then like things like at half time you're trying to check if everyone's okay to carry on for the second half if they've got any bits and bobs but then like at the same time the manager could be screaming at someone and it's like right I've got to do my job, but not get in the way of what's going on. So it's mm. like that balance between I need to find out if you're okay, but I don't want to get in the manager's way. So it's it's finding that balance, which comes with time, experience, and that sort of stuff. And it's not always been smooth. Kind of the first few months, you're like, right, I am so out of my depth here, just in terms of game scenarios because it's stuff that you've never seen before training yeah. stuff it's, it, it's it's easy but then games are completely different in terms of how you manage conduct yourself and how you manage expectations of staff players etc it's just different yeah totally i guess it's the temperature is so different right the temperature of the room you have to read that room you've got to read that room correctly be seen and not heard but make sure you be seen but not seen too much yeah very very tense stuff um just to say guys what we're going to do here is we're going to talk about what it's like being a physio and and already i think you've noticed that there's there's such a great lens that mike's going to come from also of course i think we've got to talk about the amount of injuries that are happening this season i think a lot of people are, are having their theories but i think it's good to get Again, probably an element of theory, but yours on that, Mike. And then we want I want to break down a lot of uh, injuries that we see because I think as casual fans, we see a hamstring injury, knee injuries, Achilles, and it's such surface level knowledge that we have of those injuries and how they affect a player. And then off the back of that, I think we also, a lot of us have played football manager and it's three weeks and you wait three weeks and there they are, they're back. But that's not, that's not life. That's not football. And there's so many players. I put a tweet out yesterday asking people, you know, who are players that it could have been so different if injuries had gone differently. And and you'd we were chatting about a few names as well, which we can kind of go through, I think, as we work through the different injuries. But again, as someone who's, you know, obviously a layman here, I think it'll be interesting to see, uh, just find out a little bit more detail on those different injuries and, and how they actually really affect a, a footballer. And, and yeah, the ripple effects of obviously that, that come from that as well. But let's stick with the, the sort of physio side of it. And but guys, if you are listening for the first time and you enjoy this one, we attempt to be as insightful as possible. We spoke to a lot of different people. And I think if you like football, you'll be interested. So make sure you give us a five star rating or follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Mike, you haven't got a podcast. Have you? Everyone seems to have one. No, I do not. No, not yet. It's on its way. It's on its way. After this one. Here we go. Um, but yes, make sure you get uh, involved and follow the podcast because it massively, massively helps. Right. So I've got a sort of long list of questions of, of what's life like as a physio. And you gave us a little nugget there already, which is wonderful. In terms of anyone listening to this who would want to A, work in football and B, be a physio. What's been your sort of journey to, to getting to the position that you're, you, you are right now and, and how much experience have you got? And, and can I ask as well, is it right to ask how old you are, Mike? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll start with the age. I'm 26 um, and I've been first year physio for three and a half years now. Um, and... What was that like early doors being young? <laughs> yeah, I kind of... I got I got first team job at 23 and uh that my first away game I won't ever forget it cuz like 
the fear of doing oh a strapping God. on someone that I've never met before and you're trying to get no creases in the strapping, you're trying to get the perfect ankle security and you do it slightly wrong and then there's five professional footballers absolutely battering you because you've not done a strapping right. It's like, oh, right, this is what's going to happen. Mm. Whereas now strappings, I could do with my eyes closed and it's absolutely fine, no creases, no nothing. So it's just like that first a little bit, you just got to get past. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of the journey... Um, three years at university doing a physiotherapy degree. Um, and then I went down the NHS route to get kind of my basics and my fundamentals. And so that was 18 months doing that. But whilst I did NHS, I worked three other jobs at the same time. So I did Shrewsbury Town Academy. I did Stoke City Women's and I did a private physiotherapy clinic. So I kind of got all branches of physio in one go all at the same time Um, and kind of seeing different things, seeing how different people work, seeing how different injuries affect people in different sporting environments and the NHS. You kind of get a real good gauge there. And then, um, yeah, about 18 months into that, kind of I started looking into football jobs, applied for a few. um, And then I got the academy job here at Port Vale and without even going to any of the other interviews i just went yep i'll have the job so when they offered it me i didn't i had interviews waiting for other clubs but i was like i just want to get in football that bad i took a pay cut from the nhs i just wanted i just wanted to be in football and Mm -hmm. so i just took the plunge and best thing i ever did that's amazing in terms of your confidence as a physio like you said there alluded to the fact that you know you feel fine with strapping now how much of being a good physio is being confident and how much of is it is being kind of, I guess, diligent? Like there must be a concoction there where I think, again, people think A plus B equals C. Um, but that that's not, again, that's not the case. Like I've had experiences with, you know, with different doctors and you hear one thing from one and another from another. Again, research that I've done for, for this podcast, talk about so, so Marco Van Basten or Ronaldo or Michael Owen, who we'll, we'll touch on those guys later on, that the doctors get it wrong. Like they get it wrong all the time. Um, yeah. So how, how do you, yeah, how does confidence affect your decision-making within your job? I think... I think kind of what you alluded to it is kind of an A plus B plus C plus D plus all the rest because there's so much that goes into it. I think you have to have confidence in yourself because if you're delivering to a professional athlete an exercise, a treatment, whatever you want to do, if you don't have confidence in that, then how they will be able to tell that on your body language, on your wording, all that sort of stuff. So I think even with things... And kind of when I wasn't sure when I first started, I just portrayed off that I had full confidence in what I was doing. I might not have done, but I had that much confidence in myself that if I portrayed that, then the players would be like, right, I trust this guy because he's confident. Mm. So sometimes you might get it wrong, but because of the confidence you portray, it's like that weird balance. So that's, and, and in terms of what you're saying about doctors getting it wrong and stuff and physios and stuff, like, people have their a set way of how they do things and they have full belief in that. And I think especially historically, it was either that way or no way. Whereas I think what we see now is a lot more of a open approach of working more together, right? That doctor with that club's physio, et cetera, et cetera. 
Whereas at the time, it was like, he's the guy, go and see him, and he'll do it. Yeah, it's like, well, yeah. Whereas mm. it's not, in reality, it's not like that. So there's is, a lot more to it. To sort of bring it to football for a second, is, and this might be bollocks, so feel free to say it is. Is there any kind of, do different physios have different philosophies? Would you say you have a philosophy? Like when it comes to your, your work, what would you say that is? Um, I don't know if I've ever outlined my philosophy as such. I kind of have a way of working and, and depending on the injury, I have a set plan for that injury. And so far it, it kind of seems to work pretty well. Um, and But there are definitely um, physios that have their set philosophy. They'll outline them. It's that way or no way. And there are physios that don't get on because say if you have a private physio who's like this rehab consultant mega guy who's got this philosophy, but then the club sends their player to that physio and then the club physio and the private physio start falling out because, oh, I want to do it this way. You want to do it that way. We don't, it doesn't work. And, and what are a couple of different ways like that, that people can kind of come at it? Oh, wow. Um, so there's how you treat an early phase injury. So do you load it up? really early and start doing exercises day one etc or do you protect it for a few days and then start loading up after that or do you inject it with certain things that can help healing as such and um, there's not loads of evidence out there so it's a bit up in the air in the in the medical world at the moment but do you inject it with something and then start loading there's so many different ways and that's just early phase rehab and then you've got mid phase and, and late phase and each phase you can do hundreds of different things. You can approach it in hundreds of different ways. So it's quite hard to outline like true philosophies that people do. Mm, okay. Um, so in terms of day-to-day -day life as a, as a physio as well, and actually kind of final, final thing on, on, you know, cause it does feel a little bit like management. Uh, you're doing a different kind it's sort of like undercover management of of people and obviously of uh, and, and trying to get them to a point which is like high performance but obviously in a different way will will you um do you behave differently with different players in terms of there might be some players who are quite hesitant uh, you know hypochondriacs there might be some that are like just strap it up and get me back out there like do you does your behavior change in in your dealings with with different players within the squad Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, yeah, I think one of the biggest skills to being a good physio is being a good people manager is reading. Is this guy really anxious about this or does this guy not care at all? Like the, the whole strap me up, get me out there. You do still see that you do. They, they don't care. Get me out. I'll be fine. But then you've got all the players that will ask you a billion questions and still are like, I'm still not sure. So it's like, right, you've got a, how do you, in terms of getting someone motivated as well, what motivates different people? Is it getting back on the pitch? Is it kind of getting back to whatever? There's there's different things, but from in terms of like the way you speak to people, the way you interact with people, you've got 26, 27 personalities all from different backgrounds. So you might have someone from South London and then someone from Glasgow and then someone from... I don't know, in the middle of the countryside. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's three different, completely... Like, different continents, right? Yeah, as well, yeah. Right? Well, yeah, we've, we've got, uh, got a lad from Belgium, got a lad from South Africa, 
uh, lad from Spain, lad from Switzerland. So you, you kind of add that to the mix. It's like, right, you culturally, you've got to be ready for anything. Mm. Um, so let's, let's break down your week because uh, I think this is all, all interesting stuff. That I, yeah, I, I certainly like the amount of football content I've taken in and I don't know any of this. So I, I'm fascinated. So and, uh, let's do weekdays and then then let's do a match day because I think you, you sort of alluded to it yourself in terms of the difference in the intensity there in terms of the people's emotions right but so a, a normal weekday what does that what does that look like for a physio kind of for us and and this is different managers do different things so um we train monday tuesday wednesday recovery day train thursday friday game saturday some clubs do Sunday, Monday off, and then train Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So a four-day lead-in versus a two-and-two. Two. Typically, they're like the two of the main styles that, that are in football. We do the two-and-two. Two. So Monday, Tuesday, we are kind of eight o'clock department meeting. Um, so the physios and the SNC will sit down, speak about current injuries, plans for the day, right, I've got these two players for rehab. You've got this person inside in the gym. You've got this person on the grass doing this movements, et cetera. So planning, right, what do we want to do for the day? And then we go into the full staff meeting. There's 13 of us um, at 8.45. And it is then planning training, planning lunch times, planning meeting times, analysis times, kind of what the players will do for the whole day. And then we'll have a one-hour block for the injured players. Um, so nine till ten will be injured only assessments, treatments. Right, this is what you're going to do today. All that sort of stuff. And then the rest of the players come in for ten o'clock. So if okay. the rest of the players could have. Oh, I woke up and my groin's a bit sore. Right, okay, come see us. We'll assess you, treat you, do whatever we need to do. Can you train? Can you not train, et cetera? Can I get all that sort of stuff so, sorted? So you're telling me that an injured player has to get in earlier than than a fit player? Yeah. So the injured players are in earlier, they leave later, and they get less days off. See, that's really interesting. I don't think people kind of know that because we'll get to, you know, we're going to talk about the the impact mentally on on players because that obviously has to kind of hurt. That is one just little element of it. That That's really, really interesting. Yeah. In terms of your dealings with the manager, you know, the coaching staff, I would imagine, obviously we're going to get to match day, but on in the week, is it far more intertwined? In, and do you have a bit more kind of influence in the sense that you go, you know, you can kind of go, look, these are the lead times. These, This is where we're at with these different players. And and you have a bit more kind of influence in that moment, or like, how does that conversation work in the lead up to a match day? Yeah, absolutely. So it's that's why we have a daily meeting because information can change on a player daily. And so if someone is returning from injury, say, and we're kind of grading them back in, they might do half the training session. So they might do the warm up do a passing drill and maybe a possession, and then they'll go off and do some tactical stuff and then the player will come to us. So we need to update the manager, right, can they do this Monday, Tuesday? They'll train Thursday, Friday. Yeah, they can play on Saturday. Right. That's one example. 
Mm-hmm. But there's many different ways of returning a player from injury, depending on how long they've been out and the amount of time, the injury, how many minutes they're allowed to play at the weekend, et cetera, et cetera. There's limits and there's guidance that we provide every day on all of these sorts of things. And and on that guidance, is that set in stone or is it one where the manager is still in a place where they can kind of override it with that buy-in from the player? I imagine is it important as well, isn't it? Depends on your manager. Right. Depends on how much your manager listens to you and kind of depends if the player will throw you under the bus. Because <laughs> right. a, a player will want to play that badly that they might say, oh, don't listen to the physios. I want to do this. Yeah. That does happen. But then there's other times where the player's like, oh, I don't want to play that much. I'm not sure if I'm ready. So there's there's two ways to it. But obviously the physio job, our role is to get them as ready as possible. So if they're saying that to the manager, oh, I don't think I'm ready, then fine. We'll delay them a week. Yeah. Depending on the manager. And have you have you ever been wrong on a player like in, in the sense of going, look, I really think he needs another week or something like that. And then he's kind of pushed through and then it's been fine or, or vice versa. Has that ever happened? Yeah, look, I think all we can do is say, this is the risk. So it is presenting the risk and then the manager will make the final decision. And we could say, I don't think this player should play. And we've had times where the manager said, he's playing anyway. He's playing, plays, plays 90 minutes and is fine. And it's like, right, we made a big fuss over something, but that's the risk. And you could have it eight times out of 10, they're fine. But those two times, they could then be out for a sustained period of time. Vice versa. Is there a culture of... Of just of of just getting on with it though, still, or, or also a uh, sorry, a like a pressure to sort of play under the pain, or is there a greater acceptance of look, look, this is the way the body works now. We've got all this technology here. I have to play by by what I'm told. Like, what's what's the culture like in 2023, 24? Bloody hell. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, I'd say both. Both cultures are still there. I think there's a time and place for the technology and kind of getting to know your body better. But if I was to be honest, most players are playing with something or other. They've got something that they can feel and it's mm. kind of their internal drive motivation to get on with it or messages from the coaches or messages from agents, parents. There's so many um, stakeholders that could be affecting this player. Get on with it or don't get on with it depending on, you might have a move. It's January. You could have a move. So don't play, don't risk it. Or the other way around, play through it, score a couple of goals and get a better move. It works both ways. Um, but there's definitely still the culture of get on with it. Or And that comes more from the players, to be honest, because they just want to play football. Yeah, they're winners, aren't they? They're elite, right? So I get it. Oh, that was a question I was going to ask you later on. I'll ask it now. Of a, On an average match day, when you've got 11 starters there, of those 11 starters that we go and sit down, we watch them and think they're fit, how many of them are beneath 80% fit? Do you, you know what I mean? I'm using that as a ballpark. But like in terms of having something like clearly wrong that I you know, could keep someone out. I'd say in terms of that level, I'd probably say one or two. Okay. I think how many players are 100%? I'd also say one or two. So really? you've got everyone. I'd say most players on a match day are 90, 95%. They've got a little something. 
that they've picked up in the last game, training session, whatever. Yeah, it's fine. Mm. Yeah, the the 80% and below is kind of, that's our job to spot. And then if the manager wants to play him, fine. But at least we've let you know. And is it a common occurrence for, because I remember reading an article on Wolves when they were doing really well under Nuno. And the, the article spoke about how they said that actually you don't often in games of football, you sometimes don't actually sprint at a hundred percent. And so sometimes players will come back early, but there's a jet, there's an understanding within the entire group that this guy doesn't sprint. Like he can do like, you know, long runs the stamina's there. It's all there, but that, that utter sort of push of a hundred percent, he's not going to do that. Is that something that you've heard of? Is that something that, that you would employ? Yeah, I think, there's different ways of how that would come about. There might be a literally two minutes before kickoff, a player might come to you and say, feeling this a little bit. If you see me not sprinting, this is why. Right. Right. Okay. Two minutes before kickoff. Brilliant. Thanks a lot, mate. Yeah. Do you want to tell him that? <laughs> <laughs> do you want me to say that or do you want yeah. me to be a grass or not? And yeah, that's yeah. kind of like the, the role of a physio is basically to be a grass at times and yeah. kind of say, Oh, he's told me this. All mm. right. Okay. But, um, there is there is sometimes an agreement, yeah, like you say, of say it's a deep line midfield player who can kind of trot about and do their thing. Do they need sprint? Maybe on a recovery run, but if you as a management team, coaching team are happy to accept that they will not be able to do that, that's your decision. That's your tactical decision. Of if that player is that good yeah. at what he does, trot in and that sort of stuff, then it's a, it's a risk. It is a risk. Mm. It's, uh, I don't think it's something that we've done too much here, but it's definitely something that, that's, that's about. And last one, it's sort of end of the week, is that Friday. I think that's really, I find that interesting, you're saying in terms of the loading. How how sort of heavy will that Friday be? Or will it always be very sort of light and tactical? Again, depends on the manager. I, and, and you'll hear that a lot because managers do things so differently. The styles that I've seen are two ends of the spectrum and then everything in between. Um, can you give me an example? Fridays can, can you give be, me an example? Um, just in terms of like, right, this is what a Friday under this manager would look like. And it is, right, warm up, a circle rondo thing, and then small-sided games. And that's it. So nice, short and sharp, get the body ready, score a few goals, make yourself feel good, get off the training pitch. Right. Some managers could do... Right, warm up and then kind of go into some shape stuff, out of possession, in possession, not too much, but it's a lot of like walking about. So the coaches will move you to where they want you to be and then kind of go through set pieces. So it's not a lot of running, but it's a little bit of standing about and stuff. Um, there's, there's there's everything in between kind of, yeah. you might do a bit of short, small side of games to get the sharpness and then do shape or, or whatever. So match day. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
Now, lots to, lots to ask on match day. The one thing I really want to know is if two players are injured, one from each team, will you put a sprint in to try and get there first to win that? Don't tell me that, surely. Well, so <laughs> we um, so two, we run on two every time. So there's me and <laughs> another physio. And there's like this internal unspoken <laughs> race. And it's like, like, right, don't go too slow or don't yeah. go too quick. Yeah. But it's like finding a pace where it's like, you look like you're in an emergency, but you're not. Obviously, if it is an emergency, you are getting on there as quick as you possibly can and you're not thinking about that. There's a difference. But if it is something you can clearly see, say it's a, a hamstring, you are not you don't need to sprint on for a hamstring. So it's right, how do we want to work it? And it could be a case of, right, we want to jog on slowly because we need to get a substitute ready. So we right. need to spend as much time on the pitch as possible without getting a yellow card from the referee. Wow. So it's finding that balance. Wow. That's fascinating. So, I mean, that makes complete sense. So yeah, the game state matters, right? Yeah. So you, you've got a right. How do we get the substitute as ready as possible, tactically, set pieces, and, and physically warm up and that sort of stuff? But how do we not completely take the piss on the pitch? And it, it's finding that balance. Um, and, and yeah, there there is an internal race. There is an internal race. Do you? How often do you win it? Do you try and win it? Does the guy know that? I I feel like you think there's a race, and this and the other lad doesn't think it is a race. Well, we we kind of speak about it internally. It's like right when I run on with this guy, I'm a bit quicker. But then if I run on with this guy, he's a bit quicker. So it's like right, <laughs> it's yeah. That's mad. The uh, have you? So can you get booked? As well. Have you ever been booked? I've been booked. Right. Why, why I, were you booked then? Uh, no. So this was for, uh, so Lincoln away last season. Um, the, in my opinion, the ref wasn't the best. And I let him know. And the tunnel after the game, I got right. a hefty fine and a one-match ban. Really? Yeah. Wow. Um, oh, okay. So so not any, so it wasn't even an on-the-field thing. It was just overall descent. Just just emotion of the game. We were kind of towards the bottom of the table at the time and kind of the pressures were high and it got the better of me. Wow. Um, and it, I, we joke about it now and it's, it's quite funny that because um, I'm, I'm not an aggressive person at all. <laughs> it just kind of all came out. But well, So that's, that's fascinating in terms of... So you, how, yeah, is it difficult to deal with your emotions on the day when it comes to match day? I've got better as I've got older and as I've got less kind of um i don't even know what the word is for it just less emotionally involved maybe but i don't know because i am still massively emotionally involved it's your livelihood you spend every day with these people Mm. you care so much about the outcome of the game and you 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 want to win if you're competitive you you want to win and when things don't go your way and you feel unfair it can just it can get the better of you yeah, it is, is an age thing. It is a, right, is that the way to conduct yourself? No, probably not. Like, I was 24 at the time, 25. So... It's only, it's only a year ago. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to try and say that I was yeah, younger. But I don't know. That's, yeah, that's interesting. Um, so, yeah, any do you got any funny de- uh, stories from, from the match days that sort of spring to mind in terms of... I've got a few. I've got loads, and I don't know if I'm allowed to say some of them. Um, So I'll pick... Here's one that you can say. (laughs) Um, So one of my favourites is is kind of a bit of good, clean fun from the stands is 
when you've gone far side and you're walking back around the pitch and you go past the away fans or whatever, the amount of abuse you get is hilarious. Yeah. And it is just like, you couldn't save the NHS, you're rubbish. <laughs> What's that even mean? Yeah, and it's great. like, you are the Jesus of this world, you're a miracle worker, you <laughs> must be fine. What? And honestly, because you're trying not to laugh because they are just awful. Right. And you're just, just weak stuff, weak chat. Yeah, it's just funny. It's just terrible. Um, but I think my one story I've got is um, so my first ever game, this is from um, we were away from home. It was on New Year's Day. It was freezing cold. It's the coldest I've ever been. We were 2 0 down at half time. And the manager walks in, goes absolutely ballistic, puts his foot through the bin, but his foot gets stuck in the bin. <laughs> so he's created a hole in this plastic bin and his foot is just trying to get his foot out and he's trying to be angry at the bin. His foot's <laughs> stuck in the bin. And it's like, right, okay. And then he, he gets his foot out and he's got like a cut on his leg, obviously from the plastic. <laughs> and it's like, right, I've now got to clean up this blood on the manager who's absolutely fuming. And then... Yeah. We go back out for the second half and the captain gets sent off two minutes. <laughs> oh my God. We end up losing the game 4 0 and they missed a penalty. And it was just oh, the, that baptism of fire. Yeah, that was the first ever game in professional football. And it was just, yeah. Have amazing. you ever had a rollicking from, from the manager mid game? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if I'd call it a rollicking. I've had stern words. Would it be and... either? Is it ultimately either hurry up or or slow down? Um, no, that's that's. I wouldn't even class that as anything. That's normal. That's normal right. kind of um, stuff. It's more about is that player right? Are they okay? And then if they've maybe been injured and it's someone that we've been monitoring through the week, and it's kind of a heat of the moment. Why are they injured? What's going on here? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. The next day, the emotions are calmed down and it's absolutely fine. Mm. But that's just part of the job. Um, one In terms of staff, obviously, um, you know, as a, obviously a professional club, like, you know, you, before we start recording, talk to me about, to me about anti-gravity stuff. So, oh, Jesus. So, like, you know, there's no shortage of uh, technology there. But when it comes to the amount of staff that you will see in, you know, Premier League clubs, would it be a fair idea to feel like there should be less injuries at a higher level than with the workload that you have to deal with? I, I don't know what the answer is with that, but I just it, I found myself thinking about it. I think it's a very interesting question and kind of us as physios in the department, we always chat, oh, how nice would it be to have five, ten other staff that they've got or whatever. Mm -hmm. Does it stop you from getting injured? No, probably not. Does it make your rehab coming back from injury better? Yes, probably, because you get more one-to-one -one time with the player. You can focus your efforts onto less players. So we've got three therapists looking after 28 players. Whereas in the Prem, you might have 10 therapists looking after 25 players. The yeah, ratio yeah. is completely different. But I don't think it's in, it's going to affect how you get injured because of all of the external factors that go into what gets you injured or what causes an injury. And the Premier League is that much quicker and the pace of the demands on the body, the uh, fixture schedule, depending on if you're in Europe or not, all of these things 
kind of contribute towards an injury over staff, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. So let's move on to that because I think it's been such a hot topic this year, certainly over the winter months and actually kind of from October onwards, uh, there's been a 9.5% increase in the number of injuries in the top flight in 23-24 compared to the same point last term. And over the last sort of four-year period, there's a rise of 15%. So with so many more injuries there's a feeling according to the stats that this isn't just an anomaly this is something that is kind of on the rise love to know your thoughts on that in terms of why injuries are are going sort of through the roof right now and what needs to change if to sort of keep players safer um yeah what are your thoughts on on the injuries why do you think it has been so so high this year so i think it's hard to look at this year in isolation because I think it stems back to the COVID year. I think going back to that, you've got these games that have been shoved onto the end of what, when did it restart again? May, May yeah, until yeah. July. And then everything else from there on has been compressed. The Premier League has been compressed. And then you go from a compressed season in 21, 22 to then a compressed season because of the World Cup in 22. And then this is all just a follow-on. So I think it's an, an, an accumulation following on from, from COVID, really. You've got all these games mixed up, plus a World Cup, plus a Euros, plus... Quali- Nations League. Nations League, no friendlies from that as well. I think it's... Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So you, you look at... If you're playing 60 games a season, say, over 10 months... And it's now been changed to 70 games over nine months because of the compressed, because of the World Cup, because you're playing Saturday, Tuesday instead of just on a Saturday. Mm. All of these things make a difference. That's one thing. That's kind of one point from the accumulation sort of thing. But then you look at how VAR is being used. You look at the stoppages and kind of what that is doing to games, completely disrupting the flow of it. And say if a VAR decision is taking two and a half minutes to take, the players aren't going to stay warm for two and a half minutes. If they're standing about, they're chatting, they're doing whatever. Well, when you get going again and you've got to sprint straight away after the whistle's blown, oh, you look at Van der Ven's hamstring. Like that was after a VAR decision. Yeah. And then he's gone for a sprint. Oh, his hamstring's gone. Well, it's not a surprise. He's been stood around for two and a half minutes. Mm. So... That's that's one thing for me. And then plus, and another accumulation issue is the games are longer. You're getting 100 plus minute games, seems to be all the time. We kind of track our minutes of all of our players and the amount of times that you're typing in like 105 minute games. It's like, that's ridiculous. Yeah, as well. So that adds up throughout a season. So two, two questions there. So one, first of all, sort of, the, you know, the games as a whole, how much how much rest do you need to sort of, replenish back to 100% and so by that I mean you know you've had a long season and we've seen it time and again with England in tournaments and then they look knackered after that but then they'll have six weeks off or whatever it is and then oh you know supposedly they should be fine what what would you say is a sort of fair amount of time for a player to to be recovered or you know to be rested let's say so Again, this is individual to every player. Every player is different. They've got their own strategies, whatever they want to do in the off-season. What I would say is, I'd say, try not to have completely off for more than three weeks. 
because you lose so much over that time and to get it back is even harder. So you, what you'll see is you see all these videos in the offseason of players, they might be in Marbella, Miami, wherever they are, Dubai, doing all these training videos in the offseason. That is just to gain a base level of fitness back up after doing nothing for a little period of time. Right. And because they know preseason is going to be horrific. Mm-hmm. So if they're in a good place going in back into preseason, right, I'm I'm going to be able to deal with preseason because I've done the prep, I've done the, the work, but I've still got my rest in. So it, it's finding that balance. And I think younger pros struggle with it more because they're not quite sure what the balance is. There are players that say early uh, early 30s, they know their body, they know exactly what they're doing. They've been the same off season for 10 years. That works for me, so I'm going to do that. So some players might have, right, I'll do one week, sat in the sun doing nothing, and then I'll start running again. Whereas others might have two and a bit weeks. Yeah, it, it depends on who you are. And then in terms of, you know, closing in on the game itself, when you say when you have those kind of stoppages, what is the amount of time of a stoppage that you would then start to get start to get wary about about those muscles in terms of getting cold um i think it's again it's an individual thing kind of some people can cope with the stoppages better than other um and it depends on how quickly your heart rate reduces how how quickly um you recover basically because if your heart rate lowers more than other people then it takes a little bit to get going again. So you might be slightly different to someone else because you've got to get back up to speed again, whereas someone might not have recovered as well and they can just go again because they've not kind of, they've not changed. Um, but I'd say kind of a stagnant one, or I'd say two minutes of being stagnant can can make a difference. And, and you know, I guess to that point in the Premier League, you know, it's not like this isn't Sunday League, like where you've got two fit players and the rest are like actually enjoying the break. Like all these guys are like after, um, you know, after 10 seconds, they're probably, you know, back to back to sort of a calmer breath. So that's going to lead to more of those problems. Um, yeah, that's fascinating. Finally, for you, you know, as a, an EFL physio, you don't have the, the VAR, uh, the international... Um, international pressures probably aren't as high when it comes to to Port Vale um, but obviously you have got 46 games you've still got a lot of games in the season have you seen injuries go up this this year for you or, or across the league for, for yourselves because obviously there's always such a focus on the Premier League but the, the additional minutes are there aren't they um, but, but VAR isn't I think for us we are on track to play 65 games this season so because we did well in the Carabao Cup, got to the quarterfinal, we got out of the group stage of the not all under Papa John's, Bristol Street Motors, and we had two replays in the FA Cup. So we drew in the first round, then won, then we drew in the second round, then lost in extra time. So we have played, I think we've played the most football in the EFL so far in terms of games. Um, and in December, we played 10 games in 31 days. So the fixture schedule for us is, has been the same as the, the top boys just because of being in all the cup competitions. Mm. So we've definitely noticed it. And what we've noticed is we have had um, some bigger injuries than we have previously, so lengthier timeframes. Um, but because we we kind of audit everything we do, I spend an awful lot of time on Excel and just trying to find stats and find what what we can do, we've reduced a lot of 
certain injuries kind of we've reduced hamstring injuries compared to previous years based on things we've introduced but kind of calf injuries have increased this year so it's like right now we need to see why if a calf injury has increased and kind of we've done a lot of research around kind of is it the surface of the training ground is it surface of the pitch because of the involvement of calf in the push-off phase of running there's kind of a whole host of things that we're doing to kind of combat that but in answer to your question Yes, we've seen a slight increase in injuries, um, but with the fixture schedule we've had, it can make sense. That's to be expected, right. And final one on the Premier League itself. So just to kind of put you down to a possible decision on it or prediction, let's say, do you think it will be just a kind of one-off season or do you think we'll see the same level of injuries next next year? I think it's tough because of you've got... AFCON, obviously, at the moment. Asia Cup, at the moment. I'm pretty sure uh, Copper America is this summer. Uh, I'd, I'd have to look that one up. But, yeah, uh, go on, I'll Google, I'll Google it whilst you say. You're about to say Euros, aren't you? Go on. Yeah, and the go Euros on. are on. So, the in terms of the, the top players that go to all these tournaments, the accumulation is just going to continue. So, you then get... You then finish the Euros say you get all the way to the final, you get one week off and then your team's back in for pre-season. Right. Okay. Yeah. I've done nothing, but I'm not ready for this. Mm. Obviously a lot of the top clubs give those international players a few extra weeks to kind of get some time in, but then you're playing catch up on the other end of it. So the, the, the kind of ripple effects of it all is it's just a constant cycle of catching up again. Right. How do I catch back up from two years ago going to the World Cup. It's, it's still a kind of process where it's knocking on. Yeah, Cop America is this summer, by the way. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I mean, again, it's just, I think that is that is something that is slightly hidden, I think, is the the internationals and Nations League and qualifiers and like Nations League in particular, which I like, because I like it not being a friendly, I get it. But I think, yeah, the players, it is getting wild now. You know, players like Pedri, you're seeing like have injuries and they're having injuries because they're playing 70 games. Like that's a lot. And yeah, and against and and people press right. That's the other thing as well. Like especially say like a midfielder, you know, for a period you probably could have. I mean, I guess when you've got the ball, you can be a bit more composed with it, so that maybe that's less running. But the sort of the the sprints of pressing against opposition that seems to have gone through the roof for a lot of the top teams as well, which is going to make life a, a bit tricky. Right. Let's talk. Let's talk about some different injuries and some of the players that we kind of were hampered by that because uh, this was your idea, Mike, and I appreciate that, mate. But th- So we'll get some uh, insight on these guys. Let's work our way through the body. Should we start? Do you know what? We'll start... What's it gonna, well, we'll start with the list I've got here. Hamstrings. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. 
Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Um, Michael Owen um, spoke about, he spoke about the fact that the hamstring has three, I'm doing your job for you, three muscles and one of the muscles kind of went and it was at a time when muscles weren't uh, reattached to the bone. And so he then spent the rest of his career with two hamstring muscles on his hamstring. Um, how like how debilitating is that for someone like Michael Owen, who is pacey? And generally, when it comes to hamstrings, we're seeing a lot of hamstring injuries this year. Uh, why do you think that? Why do you think that is? And, and why is it something that seems to be focused around a lot of like great fast players like Michael Owen and Torres and people like that? Yeah, so kind of great explanation, by the way. Very good physio technology. Uh, in terms of hamstring, they've gone up 55% over the last four years. So you kind of see wow. an extra, well, a lot over a season, really. And going back to Owen, he... He he was ridiculously explosive player. He could break past anyone and score ridiculous goals and obviously won a Ballon d'Or for his explosiveness. Mm. But his hamstring injury, his initial one, was actually before he won the Ballon d'Or, which makes it even more interesting. So in 1999, he, that's when he tore his hamstring. So yep. given the information, what we would call it is either a grade 3 or a grade 4C, which is where the tendon has come off the bone. Okay, and in this day and age, you would get that operated on, especially the 4C. You get the 4C operated on nearly every single time. So if he's had that completely off the bone and he's saying that it's kind of healed back onto another hamstring. Mm. So he's got one less tendon attaching to the bone. So therefore he is firing with one less hamstring. And the hamstring is one of the main drivers in sprinting. And it's because of the... It's called the eccentric nature of what it does. The lengthening of your hamstring when you sprint because you extend your knee to put your foot down and that force of your foot going down needs a good hamstring to contract to push you forward. So that's why you see the faster players typically have hamstring injuries because you're going at such a speed where your hamstrings have to be able to constantly eccentrically load throughout the time. So the kind of using GPS data and all that sort of stuff, you can see during a game live in the in the stadium, right? He's hit 250 meters of high of, of sprint data. We need to be careful with him because if he carries on at that rate, he might get a hamstring injury. Right. So you, you can you can track everything. The technology is unbelievable. Wow. There are some stadiums that it doesn't work in, which is a bit annoying. <laughs> really, what bad signal? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, literally. <laughs> Uh, Sinclair Armstrong and Sinclair Armstrong is I've never seen anything like him because he is outrageously tenacious um like wildly quick like wildly quick so strong as well and we've had a few moments this season where you kind of you can hear you know when you you know when you put your foot down go like I can hear it when he's running, it's wild. It's so, he's so exciting from that point of view. Um, it's kind of off topic a little bit, but I, 
I find myself a little bit concerned by someone of that size because he's tall as well, muscly as well, and having that kind of pace. And the other thing that seems to happen with him a lot, you know, obviously, despite being he's a young young man, is he, he gets cramp a lot. Is that in terms of fast players? Because um, actually on our list here, sort of after the, after chatting about these guys, we won't really chat about really fast players. Is the um, what? Why is he getting cramped all the time? Is basically what I'm asking. Is that a thing for faster players? Yeah, it can be. It can be. I think especially is it a, tw- more... is it a twitch fiber thing or? It's a, it's a combination of the twitch fiber thing and the amount of muscle that a guy has. If you've got more muscle, you obviously have to feed it with more oxygen and more uh, nutrients to get the best out of those muscles. So if you are big guy, kind of ripped, whatever, you've got more muscles to supply. So you need to eat more. You need to have better breathing techniques, all that sort of stuff. Right. So with the explosion and the quickness, and if he's tenacious presses from the front, all that sort of stuff, can't say I've ever watched him, but he does. It sounds like yeah, it. he does. Um, so if you're doing all those sorts of things, you're constantly using up those supplies. And cramp is kind of when you have a lack of those supplies, you've got a buildup of lactic acid. Your body can't flush it out anymore through the lymphatic system. So it, it kind of causes this cramp sensation. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it it is either on your return from injury, you're trying to get through a game, You've not quite had the the load. Your muscles aren't quite used to it yet. Cramp, quite a normal thing to see. Start of the season, you'll see it a lot more. Pre-season, you'll see it more, that sort of thing, because your yeah. body's just not quite ready yet. What about cup finals? You see a lot, you see a lot in sort of those big games. So the, the kind of adrenaline, usually you see it more in kind of the extra time. So kind of that extra 30 minutes where you've, say you've used up your glycogen store, that's why you see players having gels and stuff, trying to prevent cramp. That's kind of the whole purpose of a gel is to get that energy in to kind of keep going for longer. Um, and yeah, the whole host of things really that contribute to all of that. So as you are more powerful, you are using up more kind of glycogen to perform a movement. So if you've got more muscle, you're more powerful. It requires more energy to complete. Yeah. And just to stay with that sort of fast twitch fibers thing. So if, if anyone doesn't know, your sort of body has fast twitch fibers and slow twitch fibers. I sadly don't have any fast twitch fibers. Um, but if you do, um, that's the, in terms of injury. And I guess also in terms of your use of that, there's again, another thing, there's anaerobic activity and there's aerobic activity. And so when you when you use. So, for example, if you try and bench press something as as um Sorry, actually, say you do a hundred meter race, that is anaerobic uh, activity, and you—if you think yourself when you're sprinting, you often don't really kind of breathe. You kind of breathe at the end of it because you don't really need oxygen, or you can't survive. You can't keep sprinting um, without oxygen. Um, that's why when you do an eight hundred meter race or a one thousand five hundred meter race, that's an aerobic activity, and so you can keep going because you can breathe throughout that time. In terms of injuries for footballers, for those faster players with those fast twitch fibers and the lactic acid that would come from an anaerobic activity like sprinting out and out, does that lead to the Torres's, the... I'm going to put them together here. Sinclair, if you're watching this, Sinclair Armstrongs, the Michael Owens, the Torres's, does that lead to um, it it being a, a sort of very fair thing to be worried about those lightning players because 
because they can sprint more, they're better at sprinting, therefore they're going to do it more and therefore they're more susceptible to injury. I think it's a factor, but I think it's more the speed you're going at. If you can run, kind of, we do it in meters per second. So say if you can run above 10 meters per second, you are lightning, you are rapid. So if you if you're doing that consistently, your hamstrings have to be stronger to deal with running at that pace consistently. So it's more about the speed right. that you're performing at, which is why you tend to see slower players not get as many hamstrings because the eccentric load that they need for the hamstrings are less because they're not going as quick. That makes sense. Uh, knees might be here a while with knees. So players that kind of you know could tell their career. You've got R nine, of course. Uh, I wanted so I was wanted to get a bit of a, a description on tendonitis because I think that Owen Hargreaves definitely his career was you know lost essentially by that and he was an outrageously good player two very different physiques as well when you look at a Ronaldo and a and an Owen Hargreaves um, Ledley King as well um, and and Virgil Van Dijk um, you know two players that one seems to have been able to come back from it one that, that seems to have not been able to um, talk to me about knee injuries maybe maybe r9 is a good one to kind of focus in again with that again i'm going to compare it to sinclair armstrong as someone who's sort of big and powerful then making those different changes are some great players is it inevitable that we're going to lose great players at times because they they shouldn't be you know ronaldo shouldn't have the agility and the power that he has and that can then lead to you know your kneecap being in the middle of your thigh like like it happened for him. I think it's it's interesting with Ronaldo, uh, who I think is one of the best players ever, by the way. He was unbelievable to grow up with. Um, kind of he I did a little bit of research in and he'd actually been managing a knee issue for five months before he actually did that famous one where he's kind of doing the step overs and he puts his foot down and it kind of just disappears from underneath him. Yeah. So it's interesting, kind of one of the biggest precursors to injury is previous injury. So you are more likely to get injured if you've had that injury before. So I do wonder if he's been managing something there over the last five months, and that's kind of what's kind of been the final nail in the coffin because his patella tendon is basically snapped in half. So where your kneecap sits, it kind of a tendon goes over the top and attaches down to your shin, and that kind of allows you to use your quads to move and that sort of stuff. And I don't know if you remember, Ronaldo had massive quads because he was so powerful, he needed to twist and turn and that kind of stuff, a lot of pushing off. So his quads would put in a lot of force through the floor. And so your tendon has to be able to cope with that force. And on that day, his tendon couldn't cope with the force and snapped. And it, it took him 14 months to get back from. Um, and granted, he did go on to win a World Cup after he did that, but was he the same player again? Probably not. Um, do you, uh, do you, the, the question I thought with that was, would they have won the World Cup without Ronaldo? I, I, I don't, people won't like this. I, I think they might have been fine. <laughs> like, you know, I wonder if like we would be talking about Rivaldo differently or Kaká differently or Ronaldinho. I mean, we talk about Ronaldinho in that, in that pantheon, but Ronaldo kind of went and just took that. I also feel like the 2002 World Cup wasn't the strongest. I don't know if I don't know how people feel about that. I'll probably get hammered for that. You look at the quarterfinals and the teams aren't great, are they? The finals poor, I think. I think Germany that's a poor Germany side. Um yeah. But he scored eight goals to be fair to him. 
eight goals wins you or gets you further in a tournament, doesn't it? So there might have been games <laughs> yeah. where he's done things that others can't because he's that good. So maybe, maybe not. All I can remember about Rivaldo from that World Cup is the corner flag incident. And yeah, just come back. Wish he'd done his knee on that. <laughs> but yeah but i think it, look he obviously wasn't the same and i think that's such a that's so heartbreaking when we're talking about these players is that uh, again so both those actually similar kind of time frame you know 97 to 99 that was kind of when they're at their best and it's kind of you still people don't know like they don't and it, it the problem now is that we talk about these players so much and kind of stupid people like me put them in like brackets and we have to d- debate which one's better. Um, but the injuries do like, they will change the whole outlook of those players. You know, people who were tweeting me yesterday were saying the GOAT conversation's probably not, it's a different conversation if he, if if he stays fit for what would have been another seven years, right? Being amazing it would have been very very different but i think people of that frame and alan shearer is a good example of this as well alan shearer is one where i think similar frame to ronaldo obviously very different kind of players but shearer was shearer was lightning shearer could dribble with the ball he could face goal he was a complete striker um but we all kind of remember him as being that sort of hold-up player uh because of because of the injuries that that he had um so, so Ronaldo, with Ronaldo, because you have ACL. Where's the ACL and where's the MCL? The AC, ACL is in the middle of your knee, so it connects kind of your thigh bone to your shin bone, okay. uh, and kind of goes through the middle, kind of acting as like a stabilizer. Got you. And, to and, stop and then the your, medial is on the side, isn't it? Yeah, medial is on one side, lateral is on the other. So LCL, MCL, either side. And um, so what Ronaldo did is on the outside. So it's where his quad attaches to his knee. So what allows you to contract your quad to push off, change direction, that is where what he injured. So right. it makes sense why he didn't look as powerful or do as many step overs or that sort of thing mm. because of what happened. Just to touch on Alan Shearer, he had two ACLs and is still the top goal scorer in Premier League history. So imagine what he would have done if he didn't yeah. have two ACLs. Yeah, unbelievable. That is crazy. Um, I feel bad about the bracket I did now. I, did, I put Harry Kane in front of him. Anyway, tendonitis. Talk to me about tendonitis because that there's a few players that have kind of suffered with that and, and, and Hargreaves just couldn't get away from it. What What is that and why did that hurt his career so much? Yeah, so I kind of had a look at Owen Hargreaves when you mentioned it because you look at kind of, right, Bayern Munich come onto the scene, unbelievable player, goes to Man United. It never quite happens for him and kind of you wonder why and... And he did a really interesting kind of interview with The Guardian where he kind of explained his side of things. And obviously, we've only really got his side. You'll never know what the medical people did. Um, And he felt like he was a guinea pig with injections. They kind of would do various injections into the patella tendon to try and fix it, to try and mask the pain, whatever. I don't know what exactly the injections were. There's different ones for different things. And so, Mike, just to go back a sec, tendonitis, what's your brief definition of that? Um, it is a inflammation around the patella tendon. So it's the same tendon that um, Ronaldo snapped. He is an inflammation kind of, you will feel it when you go downstairs, when you uh, bend your knee and kind of when you contract your quad, those main things. Um, so you'll feel it on day-to-day life, let alone playing football. Right. Um, so it's kind of that inflammation in and around the tendon. So it takes time to get rid of. Don't get me wrong, 
a lot of people will play with it. They'll play with Achilles tendonitis. They'll play with patella tendonitis. You'll get it more in preseason because of the harder ground, the, the sun's been on it and that sort of stuff. So you see people training on 4G. They'll be more likely to have patella tendonitis, Achilles, wow. because of the hardness of the surface, because it increases the load that you put through your leg. So with these, especially what we know now, you want to heavily load the tendon in order to allow the tendon to adapt and strengthen. Did they do that 25 years ago? I don't think so, but I don't, I mean, I don't know in terms of the exact management mm. research over the last few years has really changed and kind of what you do for a tendonitis is kind of a example of get it loaded up, kind of don't have too much time off it. The, the, the previous recommendations were rest it completely until it goes away and then go again. Whereas now you want to kind of manage load, keep going on it, do these exercises specifically to get the strength back in the tendon. So you want to load the tendon to get it as strong as possible to deal with the demands of football. Because mm, Hargreaves, it was the opposite. I think you just get, they kind of go, well, let's wait a little bit longer. Let's wait a little bit longer. Let's wait a little bit longer. I mean, I remember QPR went to Old Trafford, we played them in the League Cup, I think. And and he was supposed to be back. And then in the kind of warm up, I feel like it was like the warm up or just before it's like, no, nah, it's, it's still bad. In terms of inflammation and, and, and injections and, and painkillers and things like that, we're kind of moving on to Ledley King here, but you sort of brought it up there. I think it's an interesting one for people to kind of have a better understanding of. How often are they kind of used and how do you use them in a safe way? So... That is practitioner dependent, depends on your stance on injections, your stance on painkillers or your doctor's stance on painkillers. Because um, ultimately we can't prescribe painkillers because we're not allowed to basically. It has to come from a doctor. Right. Um, so you hear stories kind of from the 90s and stuff, oh, just take a few painkillers and crack on. Mm. That's not quite the same now. Um, you've got to be a bit more diligent. The rules are a bit stricter. Uh, kind of, you've got to manage these things a little bit tighter. So it, it kind of prevents people getting um, the same addictions to stronger painkillers and stuff. So it's a good thing that they're, yeah. they're kind of managed better. Um, things like tramadol have recently just been banned from being used in sport altogether, which is previously something you would take um, after operations or kind of when you're in a lot of pain. So they're kind of pushing those sorts of really strong addictive stuff out of the game, which is a good thing. Mm. Um, when it comes to Ledley King, he kind of, his was more an internal issue with the knee. Um, he had a very early operation, actually after his debut and Rory Delap smashed him. Um, and he ended up having a, a little kind of operation. He's out for six weeks. He just had a trim of what's called his meniscus which is kind of a act as like a load um, absorbing part of your knee. Right. And over the years, he kept having that trimmed down, trimmed down, tried to fix it. You couldn't fix it. So you had to trim it. So for the long-term health of his knee, the less of the meniscus you have, the more your kind of your thigh bone is hitting onto your shin bone. So it's just bone on bone. Right. And the pain and the swelling that that creates is enormous. So that's why you kind of hear about Ledley King. He couldn't train till a Friday. He'd walk out, do shape, and then he'd play on a Saturday, loaded up on painkillers, injections. I'm not quite sure what exactly he was managed with. Is that insane to you? Is that insane to you? Yes and no. 
I, I, I know there are players out there in this day and age that still do something similar. There are players that will not train even in this day and age. They will work hard on a bike. They will um, do any sort of way that they're offloading their knees, hips, ankles, depending on what that player's got. And they will play an absolute blinder on a Saturday. Wow. And there are managers that will happily recruit those sorts of players and know, right, I don't want to see you till Friday. I'll see you on the grass Friday, win a game Saturday. And that happens. And are those players, you know, 33, 34, or do you ever, do you ever see yeah, those players that are in their 20s, that are in their 20s? I know of one that's in their 20s. I won't reveal oh, names. Wow. He doesn't yeah, play yeah, for a sure. football club, but I know, I know one that does. Um, but yeah, typically it is the older player that has that wear and tear that's had those previous operations, but they are incredibly effective at what they do, whether it be a target man striker or a hard-hitting centre-half. They're the two typical that you can get away with it. Because you don't have to be as mobile, you don't have to be as well. You're doing the modern day, but if you play in a team that sits back and kind of absorbs the pressure, and if you're a centre half and you just need to head it, kick it, and win everything, do you need to be able to move? Maybe not. Yeah. Virgil van Dyke, just wanted to touch on him in terms of there's been a lot of talk about his his recovery and kind of how long that has taken and if he's kind of back to the player that he was or if he if he's not. Kind of, you know. You don't know Virgil van Dijk from what I'm aware of. So there's only so much you can really answer when it comes to this. But in terms, of, I just want to ask in terms of the recovery of an injury like that and getting yourself back to the top, there is, there is always that feeling of with those big ones and they're out for ages, you know, will they come back to be the same player? Can they be the same player? I just wanted to know how you, how you feel about that. And, and when it comes to that, both from a physical point of view and a mental point of view, the recovery for uh, an ACL injury like that, um, how, you know, what does that look like in terms of the progress and what uh, progression and what's the difficulties? Yeah, so I think with Van Dijk, I think especially you look at his age, right? When he got injured, I think he was 30, 31. Close. And it's like looking at, right, this guy, is he going to be the same? He's getting towards the end of his career anyway. However, you look at what operations are now compared to what they used to be, and there are things uh, called a lateral tenodesis, which is basically adding an extra seat belt to your knee to help the ACL do its job. Right. So you right. basically have a stronger knee than your other one because you've got this extra support. So, so you're saying Virgil van Dijk's cheating? Is that what you're saying? No, because there's a lot wow. of people that will have the Bomb same. Bombshell. <laughs> get that. We'll get that in the start. Get that in the start. <laughs> Sorted. Okay, that's good. That makes sense. But it's whether, so, yeah. he, it's whether he had that specific operation because right, only right. certain surgeons do that. So there are multitude of surgeons that do ACLs slightly differently, do different things. And you basically have to take a graft from somewhere else to make a false ACL. Right. So usually in footballers, you want to use your patella tendon because it can kind of heal better and you don't need it as much as what they used to do is they used to use a hamstring tendon. So if you're using a hamstring tendon and you look at injury hamstring injuries after using that, you've got less hamstring. So obviously you're going to get a hamstring injury. So it's, it's one of those where it's like, well, yes, you need to focus your rehab on the knee, but you also have to rehab a hamstring because you've yeah. caused an injury to a hamstring right. as well as the knee. I don't know what Virgil's had, so I don't, I can't kind of fully comment, but he's a robot. He's a robot. <laughs> he, um, he did a lot of his rehab out in uh, either Qatar or Dubai and at kind of a place called Aspatar, which is like this mega 
rehab facility. Um, and the, the technology that they've got there is unbelievable. But over those, typically it's a nine month injury. So from a physical point of view, you have to initially be able to walk normally again. And then you have to be able to squat normally, lunge normally, and then run normally, and then change direction normally, jump normally, et cetera, et cetera. There are a whole host of tick lists, basically, you have to complete. You have to perform certain movements, and you have to lift certain amounts of weight, typically, um, to be able to return. So you can't go on to the next stage until you can do this, is some ways of doing it. And from a psychological point of view, it is draining, because... As, as I mentioned earlier, at most clubs, you will be in every single day of the week, maybe not Sunday, but I would imagine at the Prem clubs, you probably are in seven days a week and you yeah. are doing the most to get back quicker. And it is relentless and all those sorts of things. And I will add the video of Neymar crying his eyes out from the physios. I don't know what they are, but they should not be doing that because that's not how you rehab an ACL kind of right. forcing oh, really? that pain so he so that video oh i'm mentally tough i'm mentally this and kind of look how hard he's working it's not quite the message we want to be sending out because if you're a kind of day-to-day person had an acl and all that sort of stuff oh i need to be having that no you don't that is not what you should be doing there are ways to increase range of motion after an acl than making someone scream in pain with five guys pinning them down like there's mm-hmm. different ways to doing it and it's not that um but onto, back onto Verge, kind of, he has returned. It takes that period of time to trust it again. And that is repetitions, it is doing those movements. It is going up against, I don't know, a big striker winning your headers, or it's going toe-to-toe, 1v1 defending with the best dribbler in the league, whatever it is. Yeah. The more reps you get and the more you trust your knee, then the better you become and the less you will think about it during a game. He could be a ridiculously mentally strong person anyway and wouldn't think about the knee during the game anyway. I don't know him. But there is a big way that the more you do on it, the better you feel, which is probably why you see him better now than he was six, 12 months ago. Yeah. I mean, that comes back to to the point you made at the start. It's a thing in life. Is Sometimes you've got to fake it till you make it. And I think Virgil van Dijk, no doubt, is, is a clearly a leader. So he will he will have sort of faked it in front of people, but that subconsciously or, you know, consciously just to your, within your inner monologue, you, you know, you find yourself being after an injury, you will be tentative making certain movements. And I think that's one where in my, in my sort of um, viewpoint of him, I, I think I've kind of naively and unfairly gone, well, you've kind of had this kind of injury and you're getting a little bit older, like you said, maybe it's just one of those things because we have seen that in the past. But I think now you are seeing with a bit of time, instead of just making a quick judgment like I probably have done, you can now see like that, that confidence coming back and that makes such a difference for them physically. In terms of the psychology of it, um, you know, on our list here, you know, we've got sort of mental health as one of those. And Adriana, I think, is, uh, is, is one um, who's gone through kind of trauma, um, in a, a few different ways and that's led to sort of depression so that is an iconic one if we even want to put it in a, such a horrible list but broadly speaking like uh, whenever you hear about stories about the sort of the physio room that is a kind of sort of place of sort of banter and solace a lot of the time in terms of sort of the the sort of mental struggles of being injured how 
how difficult is that to sort of to to be around and 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 what how do people cope with the sort of the increase in doubt that comes from not being able to stay healthy that must be a really difficult thing to be around sometimes yeah i think because of the amount of time that you spend with someone because of how close you have to get with someone you are doing physical actions you are touching their body etc it is quite a close thing that you have to do mm. so naturally you will typically see that players are closest to the physios out of any other member of staff because of the relationship you have to have to perform the job. So when it comes to someone getting injured, they come back, they play five, six games and then get injured again. It's for me and, and for other people, it's almost as heartbreaking for the physios as it is for the players because you've put so much time and effort. You've, you think you've done what you think is the right thing for that player to rehab, to perform all these things. And then you see the emotion on their face. You see the outcry. I've seen, I've seen players cry on the football pitch before when you've run onto them and they're just bawling their eyes out because they know they've done something bad. And wow. at that point, it, it's then, it's not about the football anymore. It's about the person. It's about the human being. It's about, right, this is a guy that I've spent more time with than a lot of my mates my girlfriend, kind of my mom and dad, I've spent more time with this bloke than I have with them. Right, I need to help this person in this moment to calm down, firstly, to get off the pitch. But then you then have to manage their expectations over the initial period of they know they could be out for three months, six months, their careers could be done. So then you are almost being a shoulder to cry on and you are being a bounce board of questions because they are just asking you, what's going on, what's going to happen to me, et cetera, et cetera. And sometimes you have to say, I don't quite know yet because we need more information. And that's okay to say because you don't have all the answers straight away. Mm. But it's about managing them and helping them, guiding them uh, and being an emotional support for them. How do you feel about how flippantly people chastise players who can't stay fit? When you think of Kieran Dyer, Jack Wilshire, Reese James is getting it a lot at the moment. How how do you feel when people sort of just roll their eyes and go, may, uh, almost turn it into something where it's a kind of a lack of professionalism or desire? That must that must act, that has to infuriate you though, surely, has to. Has yeah, to. for me as a football fan growing up, I've probably done the same thing. But then as soon as you get into it, you're like, this person absolutely works his bollocks off every single day, and they just can't do it. Their their bodies just can't keep up, and whether that is a physiological thing whether it is a psychology thing whether it is pure bad luck like we've had in we've had injured players where people on twitter social media which i try and stay off when it comes to injuries and stuff like that at our club they're getting battered they're getting oh i can't stay fit he can't do this waste of money blah 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 and then like this guy has put in an unbelievable amount of effort is paid for various help and support maybe it's diet maybe it's all these other things trying to get those extra one percents and then they just get into a bad tackle and their, and their knee moves in a certain way. You can't help that. You, you, mm. you can't. It's just bad luck. And they're just, oh, it's, it's all his fault. It's no one's fault. It's no one's fault. Yeah. Um, I mean, again, there's, there's such a long list of players that have sort of struggled, say, when it comes to surgeries and things like that. You talk about someone like Santi Cazorla, who was sort of a bacteria that they couldn't just find out what the bacteria was. Marco Van Basten, who kind of had a decision to sort of 
have uh, ankle surgery and that, that went wrong. DRB, um, Wilshire, we've spoken about having problems with that. Uh, Petr Cech and, and uh, his... Is that true that with him, it's the, the fact that he's a triplet, that his skull is a bit thinner? Has it got anything to do with that? Is that you've heard, the first one you've heard that? I'm throwing you a curveball there. That's what, that's what I, remember, I, I remember hearing that one. But like, like you say, just luck. Luck, even in something that feels clinical like surgery is such a big part uh, of this one. Final question for you, mate, because I've, I've probably kept you too long already. Um, but thank you, mate. I really, really appreciate you, you being candid. Um, bit of a curveball for you to finish up with as well. Is, you know, in terms of, say, the, you know, the ripple effect of, of this, that industry that you're in and how it kind of looks to move forward, is there anything that you feel like uh, we will see uh, in the future when it comes to injury injury prevention you know like i think the latest trend i'm seeing a lot is the socks being cut at the back and um, to sort of relieve the calves is there any any sort of hunches that you sort of have um i think what we will see is we'll see record returns from injuries as technology gets better and as pressures get better to win games of football you, you will see people return from ACLs in record time. You will see people return from Achilles injuries. Like those bigger injuries that are usually six to nine months, you will start to see some, for me, dangerously, dangerously close and quick return from injuries. In terms of injury prevention, you see in all these people, like the, the low socks, like the Jack Grealish sort of thing and the cut socks, like you say, in, and we've got a couple in our squad and it's like, okay, do what you want, look good, feel good, play good kind of vibe. If, you, yeah. if that's what makes you play your best, fine. Do I think there's anything going to be going forward? Someone will make something up and it'll it'll catch fire and, and off it goes. But I can't think of what it would be though. No worries, mate. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's it. It's one that needs anything that's going to be put forward. You hope it's got that little bit of backing. But then there is always that. You've got to be open to try new things to kind of try and get get those little edges because that's what it's about for you right so mike thank you so much mate i really really appreciate it chatting through some iconic players who still did very very well and, and it's great to get some more insight on on what your job is like mate um all the best with the season hope it goes well no bookings no and, uh, definitely not and we'll have to get you on again uh you know hopefully of it's a difficult one isn't it with injuries it's there's always an element of sort of bad news when it comes to it but I personally have really enjoyed this, Mike. So thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure and good luck to keep your eyes on. Cheers, mate. Massive thank you to Mike. Absolute legend. Uh, if you are a legend, then you might want to follow the podcast. Do me a favour, support your boy Jim and give us a five-star rating. Thanks for listening. Go check out all the other podcasts immediately. Speak soon.